0: from the betting capital of the world.
1: Vegas, baby, Vegas!
0: It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers at Ralph Michaels.
1: It's t-t-t-t-tuesday here in Sin City. Ted Savransky, a.k.a. Teddy Covers, at Teddy underscore Covers on Twitter. I'm joined every day by my co-host, my good friend, and a national treasure ralph michaels at cal sports lv ralph let's get right into it. welcome to all of you here on the sports grid tv network welcome zumo viewers on channel 719 welcome to all of you listening on iHeartRadio radio and all the other spots you can find wager talk every single weekday let's get into it ralph bad beats bad bets bad, bad for the books Bb b b hot topics well Let's start with a recap of the two Monday night games last night, and there was certainly some point spread and total shenanigans down the stretch of a wild battle between the Saints and the Texans, and under turned into an over when the Saints couldn't get a first down, which led to a pretty wild final couple of minutes of that ball game, Ralph.
2: Yeah, uh, what kind of prevent defense is that? Giving up seventy-five yards and two pass plays—that's new to me. The, that that type of prevent defense. Uh, I can't wait till someone actually goes back old school and blitzes someone when they when so they don't have all day to sit back there. Uh, you know that first down cost them that, and uh, if you had the over, congratulations—you were a little fortunate.
1: <laughs> Just a tad bit. Again, the Saints get the ball back. Four minutes to go, less than four minutes to go, up 24-21. to 21. Houston still has all their timeouts, so the Saints are going to need to grind out two first downs on the ground to run out the clock, take a knee, and the final score will be 24-21. But they didn't do that. Instead, they chucked <laughs> along to Ted Ginn, which made my heart race, being that I had the Texans plus the points last night. That was about the only way that <laughs> this is the New Orleans was going to cover with a garbage touchdown. And then Ginn... Catches the pass, but then a forty-yard bomb, and then goes down. Thankfully, and the next play, Kamara got into space. You're like, Ugh! but he got tackled again. First down. Saints end- ended up settling for a field goal. Then the two-play seventy-five-yard drive against the Saints' prevent defense, and then at the very end of the game, with Houston having taken the lead after an overtime, not overtime tie score. What's you? What do you make of that phantom flag last night? With the game was about to be tied, twenty-seven all, and probably would have gone to overtime. But oh, there's another game. We have two Monday night games this week. Maybe we shouldn't go into OT. And a flag comes late, and lo and behold, he gets another shot at the extra point. And now there's no way to go to OT. What do you think of that? OT versus no OT on a missed extra point slash running into the kicker slash he got a second chance.
2: I have no problems with that. On on field goals and extra points, listen, we know you can't touch the center. He's off limits. We know you can't touch the kicker. To roll into the kicker, I mean, he he actually hit the kicker. To me, again, you have, one, you have the back judge sitting there watching the kicker. That's it. His job is to watch the kicker to see if he gets hit. You run into him, you're going to get called. No problems with the call at all.
1: Now, what about the mistake? Because – It's not very often that a ref will come on during the game. Someone from the NFL will come on during the game and say, oh, by the way, we screwed up. But it was a huge screw up. And there's no question it favored Texans betters. What happened was the refs didn't use the 10-second runoff uh, before halftime properly. They ran it from 26 seconds instead of 40 seconds. And at the end of the first half, the Saints didn't have enough time to get a good field goal attempt. And they got Lutz tried a 57-yarder with 15 more seconds. That's a couple more plays. Decent chance New Orleans would have gotten at least three before halftime. At least the NFL brought it up, and they brought it up right away. And we all have to remember, yeah, much as we hate the refs, the refs are all human. They will screw up. But I thought the league dealt with that appropriately, Ralph. Bring it out in the open. Don't hide it. When you screw up, you screw up. I screw up sometimes. You screw up sometimes. Talk about it. Don't hide it. And the NFL did that last night, which I thought was good.
2: Completely agree. Listen, NFL, uh, we want to know what the rules are the right way. People bet on the NFL. Uh, there's a lot of things that they're they're learning that they're finally taking and and doing the right way. Obviously, I you know I think I, I think I give credit to the networks because they've pushed the NFL into this, having their own experts in studio or in the booth, like they did last night whereas they're getting corrected and they're getting called out, so they might as well live up to it.
1: What I like seeing is point spreads and totals on all the pregame shows. That's not something we saw years ago, not even a couple of years ago. All right, let's talk about the late game. And John Elway, I mean, it wasn't all Joe Flacco's fault. Flacco wasn't awful last night, but on the other hand, he wasn't good. And Baltimore wasn't good in the red zone. And what is it with John Elway's QBs, man? The guy. Cannot find anyone to quarterback this bron- this Broncos squad. The defense wasn't good either, to put it mildly. But you know, if at first you don't succeed, fail, fail again. That's what I'll always done with the quarterback position in Denver.
2: You know, Teddy, I want to go back to yesterday's show and give you a shout out. You handicapped the game perfectly. It was a rally around game for the Raiders. Their excitement level was at a different pitch compared to the Broncos. The home fans were excited. They rallied around A B not being there. And it was just a uh it was just a microcosm of enthusiasm on that Raider squad. I think mean, I don't think Denver had a shot after watching that game play out the first few minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean it's the old Antonio Who, you know, uh, carr averaged 10 yards per pass attempt attempt last night, and he completed 85% of his throws. And oh, by the way, that... Broncos defense that's loaded and, oh, my God, watch out for Denver this year. They didn't sack Carr even once in that game. Raiders good or Broncos bad last night?
2: Yes and yes. Uh, I think the Raiders are not going to be as bad as we thought, and I think the Broncos are not going to be as good as some people thought. You know, I think they're both going to end up between six, seven, and eight wins at the end of the year.
1: Well, I'm hoping the Raiders don't get more than six. I've got some Oakland under in my pocket, personally, and I did not enjoy last night's game. Although, let's not forget, before we anoint the Raiders as elite, after last night's performance, last night was the single weakest foe they're going to face until I believe it's week eight or week nine of the season. It's a tough first half of the season for Oakland. Only one more home game during that entire span. Ralph, MLB, I mean, the Red Sox looked fork-worthy in the loss to the Yankees last night. Uh, The Wise Guys faded. The Diamondbacks paid off with the Grom's gem. Any MLB thoughts, real quick, following last night's card?
2: The Red Sox have been done a long time. Why are we talking about them?
1: Enough said.
3: We'll be right back.
1: Mondays, we do a deep dive into the NFL, talk about what just happened. On Tuesdays, we're going to do the same thing for college football. We know NFL is on the brain on Mondays. Tuesday is a great day to do this. And, Ralph, let's start with this when it comes to college football recaps. You and I had a wager last week. I had Clemson. You had Texas A&M. I was right and you were wrong, and yet you got the money. That was probably the worst beat of the day. In college football, any other bad beats stand out to you besides Texas A&M getting completely dominated and somehow coming through the back door in the final seconds? What else?
2: You know, there were no other games that come across that were last second touchdowns or backdoor covers, you know, as we call in the A&M. And, uh, Teddy, I don't know if you can consider yourself a winner because... Those people that had AM tickets get to go to the sports book and cash those tickets. Those that had <laughs> Clemson's don't. So uh, there's only one winner in that scenario.
0: I, I
1: didn't call my ticket a winner or my play a winner or our bet that I want. You won the bet, Ralph, no question. However, I still feel like I had a right side. I still feel like Clemson was the right side in that game. Their offense didn't do as much as I thought they would. And AM gave them a battle. It wasn't a runaway. But. The Clemson defense controlled that game, and Emin Mond was for a mistake. He made plenty of them in the game against Clemson, although the win for Clemson hasn't taken anything off of their power rating. Look at the number for the Tigers. At Syracuse this week, they're laying, what, 25 points. Uh, the market's not offering bargains for Clemson backers these days.
2: No, and, and again, you're, you're going to— you're going to see both Clemson and Alabama inflated by several points until they finally throw up a stinker and uh, have a big game. I mean, AM was a very public dog, so I think the books probably got hurt on that game. But again, until Clemson or Bama look like they're beatable, I think there's so much public money on them that Vegas is doing the right thing, inflating those numbers by a point or even, even as much as two points.
1: So let's argue for a minute, Ralph, because you thought uh, you did it yesterday and you did it today. And now I got to I, I got to pick a bone with you. The public doesn't move any point spread. Public impact is zero, zero uh, on a point spread here in Vegas. Doesn't matter. Jersey, Pennsylvania. The only way these point spreads move is when the wise guys say, I want to be on that side. And the big bets are what move the point spreads. The public doesn't move the number ever.
2: Yeah, well there were enough public tickets on AM. I mean, they were. Talking talking to one of the sports book directors, there were more public tickets written on them than most than most games they get on a Saturday. So, yes. I agree with you. A lot of small $20 bets aren't going to bet them, but in a, in a situation where the wise guys are on both sides and you have a huge public influx because it was the premier game on TV, then you're making that decision whether you're going to move a line, keep it the same, or whether you should up it. So uh, again, I agree with the thought that a, do- a bunch of twenty dollars bets don't move the line. It was still a public, it was still a public dog, perception-wise.
1: Sure, and public dogs in college football, the long-term track record on them is not particularly good. Um, and there's a lot. It's important for us to be. You know, Ralph, you and I have been doing this a long time, and that's why I want to, like, on the show be very clear. When lines move, the public has nothing to do with it. It's big bets. And while the bookmakers will often shade numbers book for book because they're getting mostly public action, shading numbers a half point this way or the other isn't the same as a market move where the wise guys are saying, we want this side or we want the other side. So, uh, there was wise guy money on AM. There was public money on AM and And all that money cashed. Not a good game for my bankroll. Mr. Michaels, week two. Angles and stats. You've got so much. We have upsets you want to talk about. You have outgained and won that you want to talk about right here. Why don't you start with the upsets?
2: You know, I, I just want to mention the upsets of dogs by three, three three and a half or more. It doesn't mean there's value on these teams this week. But you have to keep note of them and remember what happens down the road because a week or two down the road, people forget what happened in the game. You're looking at scores. You're looking at records. Those teams that pulled the upsets this past week, California, a very, very few people saw that game with the lightning delay that took two (laughs) hours. It finished at one in the morning Pacific time. California was a 12 and a half point dog. They knock off Washington. Western Kentucky, an eight and a half point dog. They beat FIU outright. Note in the FIU game, their quarterback did get injured in the second quarter, and they were completely inept the last three quarters. San Diego State, I have UCLA down six points from my opening power ratings. They win over uh, UCLA. Coastal Carolina beating Kansas, Les Miles. Uh, It's pretty tough to coach that football program in Kansas. Southern Illinois knocks off UMass. UMass, the worst team in the FBS. Colorado, uh, I was on the wrong side of this. Nebraska had an early lead, inept. Late, Colorado pulls the overtime upset. North Carolina knocks off Miami. Miami. And BYU, in that great game against Tennessee, wins in overtime by a field goal as a a three-and-a-half-point dog.
1: So with all the games in college football last weekend, and there's a bunch of them, there'll be a bunch this weekend, really there was only eight games where there was a dog of more than a field goal that won straight up, worth noting for money line bettors. That being said, one of the things you love to do, Ralph, is go deep inside those box scores. Who won? and how they win some of the wins look pretty fraudulent.
2: Yeah, an upset is one thing. I find I think you find more value betting against a team that won a game but it was outgained or on the flip side, and the biggest game last week, Wyoming against Texas State. Wyoming off back-to-back misleading games. They were plus four turnovers the week before against Purdue, then last week they go to they go to San Marcos. They got outgained 444 to 293, yet they win and cover that game. North Carolina got outgained by Miami of Florida by 99 yards. BYU got outgained by Tennessee by 79. I heard people talking about Penn State. I have to up him in my power ratings. They beat Buffalo 45-13, but did you know Penn State got outgained by Buffalo 429 to 357? App State got outgained by Charlotte. La Tech by Grambling, Cal by Washington, and Colorado by Nebraska. Yeah, and that that Cal
1: Washington game is worth talking about for just a minute here, Ralph, because as you mentioned, it was a very weird game. Husky Stadium cleared out. There was a you know it was a late kick, and then after kickoff, maybe what less than five minutes into the game, there was like literally a two-hour delay. I was waiting and waiting and waiting. If I, we thought the game was going to be canceled or postponed, I ended up coming back on, but. There was nobody there. It was a lifeless stadium for the last three quarters of that ball game. So those are results I want to take a little at least a little bit with a grain of salt. when the players don't get to play the game that they thought they were going to play in because of an extensive delay and the fans clearing out, it makes a difference to their effort and energy.
2: It does. But again, I still have to give Cal credit. This was a Washington team that lost last year 12 to 10 at Cal as a double digit favorite. Losing back to back years as a double digit favorite is something every player and coach will remember for next year.
1: No doubt about that. So let's talk about uh, real quick. A lot of early blowouts on Saturday. Ohio State killed Cincinnati. Maryland killed Syracuse. Missouri destroyed West Virginia. Kansas State annihilated Bowling Green. Iowa shut out Rutgers. Any of those stand out to you, Ralph, that uh, something that you would notice or want to talk about?
2: Moving forward, the thing you remember is when a team that was blowing out in the first half all of a sudden gets yards, in my stats, I back those out as garbage yards, and I discount their offensive performances because they're playing against a lethargic team and probable prevent defense.
1: That's an excellent point. And again, yardage stats for college football, in my mind, not a way to beat the sport. When it comes to comebacks this last weekend, it was comeback central. Penn State was down to Buffalo in that game. You know, BYU was dead against Tennessee. Colorado was dead against Nebraska. Uh, Miami came back. uh, North Carolina came back against Miami. And, of course, Hawaii with the huge second-half comeback against Oregon State, turning a double-digit deficit into a win and cover. Into a win, not cover. Only one by three.
2: Biggest one for me was BYU. All the others were at home. BYU going to Tennessee after that loss to Utah. The best performance of all those comebacks in my book.
1: Yeah, no argument. Although,
2: I was impressed with what uh,
1: Hawaii did. If you stayed up late here on the West Coast, you're able to watch an impressive comeback victory, even though they did not get the money. When we come back, Big Game Breakdown here on Week. Welcome back. Teddy covers Ralph Michaels here on a Tuesday. And when something breaks, when news breaks, when point spread breaks, when something happens live and we're here, of course, here in Las Vegas and it happens as we're on air, I'm going to share it with you guys. So Let's talk about it. We have the called look ahead lines for the NFL in week three that just came out. I'm going to run them down real quick. Tennessee at Jacksonville Thursday night. Titans minus one and a half on the road. Again, these are the week three look-aheads that just came out literally hot off the presses. Packers minus six and a half at home against the Broncos in week three. Lions, seven and a half point dogs at Philadelphia. Eagles minus seven and a half there. The Chiefs at home against the Ravens. KC minus six. The Bills at home against the Bengals. Buffalo laying four and a half. Atlanta at Indy. Indy's laying a point in that one. These are the openers for Week 3. Minnesota, minus 7.5 against Oakland at home. Uh, The Vikings are. The Patriots, minus 13 in Foxborough against the Jets. The Cowboys, minus 15.5 against the Dolphins in Dallas. Tampa Bay, minus 3.5 at home against the Giants. Carolina, minus 3.5 on the road at Arizona Seattle, minus one at home against New Orleans. The Chargers, minus three and a half at home against the Texans. The Steelers, minus one and a half on the road in San Fran. The Rams, minus one and a half. Only one and a half on the road in Cleveland. And the Bears, Monday night football at Washington, Chicago, minus four and a half. Those numbers hot off the presses. Anything there that stood out to you as something you're like, hmm, that's an interesting number, Ralph. Or not really. It's a little bit too early to, to think about that.
2: You said the Rams were minus one and a half to Cleveland.
1: I'm sorry, the Rams were minus one and a half against uh hang on. I just lost everything. You gotta get me before I click out of it, Ralph. You're killing me Yeah, over well here.
2: uh you asked, the Rams were you asked, uh, the, <laughs> you asked me the question. Yeah, it, the the Rams the Rams <laughs> the Rams are at Cleveland. No, you said <laughs> one <laughs> and a half. And, and I think uh, that's just seeing the overreaction. That is still the line that Vegas has so much money invested on the Browns that I think they hedge some of it back in these early lines. You know, to me, I, I would make the Rams three being, being a Browns fan and watching the team. Um, you know, that's the biggest surprise to me. You have... The best team or probably the second best team in the NFC only laying uh, only laying a point or two to a team that was 0 and 16 two years ago. And, you know, how high are we going to get with these Miami lines? It's just crazy. We've seen, you know, we've seen them open, I think, plus 11 on the look ahead last week. Open up 16 this week and we're seeing as high as what 18 and a half on Miami. Uh, will it get to 20? That's the highest away favorite line I've seen since 1989 was uh, a 20 yeah, point road favorite.
1: Let's talk about these road favorites dad cuz I know uh, that Ralph you've got some great database research uh, and it really is the, the key to your database stuff is it's not team specific. It's league specific. You find circumstances that work year after year around the nfl you talked about teams off of ties you talked about teams off of overtimes here when it comes to road favorites since 1989 only 13 times in the last 30 years that we've seen a team laying 15 plus on the road route
2: yeah and uh, again the biggest line was 20 which was the last time in 2007 so it's not something that's going to happen but you know, for for so many years people have been told, don't bet double digit favorites in the NFL, it's a sucker bet. Well, we're going to talk about it. I'll just bring it up now that we're talking about it. We're going to talk about it with Baltimore, Baltimore laying 13 and a half to Arizona since 2015. If you just blindly bet every 12 point or higher favorite in the nfl so you're a double digit favorite clearly minus 12 or more you've gone 33 15 and 2 you have won 68.8 percent of your bets betting blindly nfl favorites of 12 or more
1: and that we talk about that that's what the public likes to do and lo and behold look the public's making money using that particular strategy and the Wiserys were like, ooh, look, there's an extra half point of value here on this super ugly underdog. <laughs> They're getting their butts kicked on bets like that one. Consistently, Ralph, this isn't one year, two years. This is now a five-year sample size where the double-digit chalk is clearly the way to go, correct?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm punching in now since 2010 it's still 58% going back all the way to 2010. Often in the NFL, I use 2015 as a cutoff because that's when the extra points move back. So when you're looking at one, two, or three-point favorites, the ATS record certainly did change prior to 2015. And now since 2015, where we're seeing mixed extra points, which changes the way a team has to play moving forward.
1: And I love the concept there. You know, a lot of databases and a lot of guys that I talk to that use the database as a big part of their handicap, they're looking at 20-year and 30-year sample sizes. And I'm telling you, if you're trying to handicap the NFL in 2019 and using data from 1991 and saying it's relevant, that ain't relevant. All right? It's a very different league now than it was 30 years ago. So the fact that we have a big enough sample size even in the last five years to show, hey, it's a sample size that's worth something, and this is an angle that's worth something. The double-digit chalk, again, I want no part of the Miami Dolphins this week, whether they cover or not. You're not going to find me taking many of these double-digit dogs. They've been consistent money losers, even at home. Is that correct, Ralph?
2: That is correct. Uh, Again, there there's certain situations uh, that that there's times that you you just got to look at them. NFL, again, is a league of parity, is a league of overreactions. And we're going to see week two how some of these teams look good week one. We're going to say, what the heck happened to them? Well, it's the NFL top to bottom. I used to say top to bottom is a 17-point difference. But if if it's now the Patriots and Miami, I think the NFL is now a league of probably 22-point different from top to bottom.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I personally have the Patriots ranked a field goal better than my number two team in the NFL, and I have the Dolphins ranked a field goal worse than the number 31 team in the NFL. So you have these two big outliers at the top and the very bottom, and, oh, they're playing each other this Sunday. But before Sunday comes Thursday. And Thursday night, we've got a fun game to talk about. Carolina, the Panthers, minus 6.5, total of 50 against Tampa Bay. And look, if you're betting on who looked good last week, you ain't going to bet on either one of these two teams. The Bucks made mistakes in bunches. They ran the football effectively. Their defense played pretty good. They controlled the line of scrimmage defensively. But Jameis Winston made mistakes, and that's been a problem for Winston from day one in the NFL. All that being said, Cam Newton, career low, negative two rushing yards. He didn't have any mobility on Sunday And oh, by the way, he didn't complete a single pass longer than 17 yards downfield. Are we going to see an ugly defensive scrum on Thursday night? Or are these two quarterbacks going to be capable of lighting up the opposing secondaries? What's your take, Ralph Michaels?
2: Uh, You have to look at Cam Newton. I mean, they wanted some some quarterbacks didn't play in the preseason because their coaches didn't want him to play. Cam Newton wanted to play and couldn't play because he was banged up. He talked about it post-game where he was on a different page than his opponents. I'll tell you what, if they get the same performance out of McCaffrey, 19 rushes for 128 yards, and Cam Newton turns into his old Cam Newton self, not getting sacked three times being able to run the ball for first downs, being able to sit in the pocket and throw the ball downfield, this Carolina Panther team is going to be special. But you can't count on that happening this week. I think we're going to see improvement from uh, from Jameis Winston with Arians as his tutor. But again, I'm not going to bet that it's going to happen this week for either team.
1: Yeah, uh, I know this much. If I'm playing that game, it won't be laying points. With Carolina, for me, it's a Tampa or pass piece of that equation. I thought, you know, again, the two pick sixes against San Francisco was the difference between a tie game and a two-touchdown loss. You may throw pick sixes here again, but the final score in that game, not indicative of how the game was played. And frankly, I think the same thing for Rams and Panthers. L.A. dominated that game. The final score was closer than the game actually was. The Rams were in control start to finish. Speaking of control start to finish, well, Tennessee looked pretty good at Cleveland uh, this past weekend. And yet the betting market's not giving the Titans a ton of respect. Three with juice now, but still 3-44 and 44 against Indy. And that's Tennessee at home this week. The Colts in that unenviable, unenviable position of being on the road, off an overtime loss on the road the previous week.
2: Well... Teams making back-to-back road appearances week one and two are very bad. But let's turn it around. I can give you a stat that says let's play against Tennessee. In week two of the NFL, if you are playing against a team that covered by 18 points, so as a favorite, if you're a 10-point favorite, you won by 28 or more. Tennessee was a dog. They won the game outright by that. But teams that cover by 18 points or more week one – have gone four and sixteen against the spread. That is only twenty percent, and that goes all the way back to two thousand and ten. Don't overreact because the Browns had eighteen penalties for almost two hundred yards. You hand two over two hundred yards over to any team, they're going to look good against you.
1: Sure, and again, that game was fifteen to thirteen before a major Cleveland meltdown in the fourth quarter. Real quick, we got less than a minute. Chargers, 2.5-47 against Detroit. The early wise guy money, Ralph, has come on the wise guy, has come on the Lions as home dogs.
2: I agree with it. Just because the Chargers look like an old team. No Gordon, he's not the he's not the biggest problem. Uh no, no uh safety on the defense. Offensive linemen banged up. Uh the Chargers look like an old team to me. Detroit's D line looked pretty good.
1: Yeah, of course, Matthew Stafford, 6-52 straight up against opposing teams with a winning record. I believe that's finished the season with a winning record. One would think the L.A. Chargers will finish the season with a winning record, which means Matthew Stafford does not have a good track record against opponents like the Chargers. We'll be right back here on Wager Talk, talking college football next. Talk head cover with Ralph Michaels here on the SportsGrid Television Network. Be sure to follow SportsGrid at SportsGrid on Twitter. Download that SportsGrid app. You can watch Ralph and I on demand every day, as well as the bevy of quality programming, you can find on the SportsGrid Network. Download the app and follow at SportsGrid on Twitter. Alright, Ralph, it's early in the week nonetheless we got to talk college football. There's too many top 25 matchups to get through this week. And (laughs) they're really good games. Everyone's saying, oh, well, there's no top 25 versus top 25 teams this week. That doesn't mean there's no really good football games this week. And there's a bunch. We'll start talking about it right here. Ohio State, the Buckeyes have dominated the Indiana Hoosiers in every recent meeting. Indiana's shown no ability to shut down Ohio State. And Ohio State, boy, that offense has looked good. The first couple of weeks of the season. And the defense just pissed a shutout. Nothing but Buckeyes money in early week action. Ohio State now up to 15 and a half for an opener 13, 13 and a half against Indiana. It blew through 14. This one get up to 17, Ralph. Is there anyone gonna bet the Hoosiers at this price?
2: I think so. And you know, while Ohio State, I think, has won 23 straight games against Indiana. It should be noted that the Hoosiers have covered 7 of 8 in this series. Now, this is the lowest line since 2004. So more often than not, the Buckeyes were laying 21 or 28 points, winning the game, moving on to next week. I do want to tell our people, again, being an Ohio State fan, it's hard to get a ticket to go to a game in Columbus you will see at least 40% of the crowd being Buckeyes this game. It's a huge edge for the Buckeyes when they travel because Indiana is close and there's cheap tickets. Now, you know, the Hoosiers went, they returned Patrick Ramsey, a quarterback, excuse me, Peyton Ramsey, but they went with the young lefty, uh, Michael Penix. And I think that that's going to be the problem. Pennix playing against this Ohio State defense, this is a legitimate defense, not last year's defense that allowed 400 yards per game. This is a defense that gets pressure on a quarterback, is going to get their sacks, is going to force you to throw because they have great run defense. I think Ohio State, again, this is going to be another uh, 35, 40, Indiana maybe scoring seven or 10. I agree with the line move, and I still like the Buckeyes at this number.
1: Yeah, my powering number was close to three touchdowns uh, on this ballgame. So I was not surprised at all. to the Ohio State money uh, coming in. And you talked about Penix. He's a guy who has scramble ability. He can scramble out of pressure. But the Buckeyes defense more capable than most of keeping an elusive quarterback in the pocket or taking him down behind the line of scrimmage if he tries to escape and in Indiana after facing Ball State and Eastern Illinois. A little bit of a step up in class here against Ohio State. So the last time Alabama went to South Carolina, they lost the game in straight-up fashion. In fact, the Gamecocks are the only SEC team that has a winning record against Alabama in their last five meetings. South Carolina's 3-2 and two against the Crimson Tide the last five tries. Of course... Two of the three wins came in, like, 2001 and 2004. These two teams don't play every year, hence the long-term South Carolina success. The reality is that none of these wins for South Carolina have come in the modern era. last one coming in 2010, Saban was there, but there's been a lot of coaching changes. That was Spurrier, uh, who was coaching the Gamecocks at that point.
2: How crazy is that? playing in the sec and you haven't faced this opponent since 2010. So it just goes to show you, I'll tell you what you lose a four year starter like Jake Bentley, like the Gamecocks did. You have a true frost, Ryan Alinsky in facing Alabama. uh, There's only one way I can go. Bama's 12 and three against the spread. Their last 15 sec road games, they're three and two as an sec away favorite of 20 or more. Uh, I, no, no matter what the line, it would either be bam or a pass. Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's
1: kind of my thought with Alabama week in, week out, Ralph. I mean, they're not a team I'm in any rush to step from. And oh, last week they didn't cover 55 against New Mexico State. You know, could have. Okay, we're not laying 55 with them this week. I think the the Tide will continue to be winning games by four or five, six touchdowns on a week in, week out basis, and you talked about it. Despite their quote-unquote public nature, despite the fact that it's Alabama, the one college football team that everybody knows, they keep winning, they keep covering, and they keep covering as road chalk year in, year out. It's been a very good role for Nick Saban and company. Agree?
2: Yeah, yeah. and I want to make one point, another thing to teach our listeners. You know, when you look at Bama and you look at Oklahoma and you look at Nebraska at home, They have maybe 110, 115 players on those sidelines. When you travel, you can only take 75 players. Some conferences are 72, some are 75, some are 78. Well, that means if you're Alabama on the road, you're playing your first string, your second string, and there may be a few third string guys plus your special teams. That's why successful teams on the road are a better bet than at home.
1: Exactly. You don't get as deep into a very deep bench, which means the guys that get on the field and blow out wins are capable of moving the football and getting stops. Excellent point, Ralph Michaels. So what do we have? ESPN game day? I pay no attention to this stuff. I don't even I can't believe that people actually watch those pregame shows. This is the show you should be watching. I haven't turned on ESPN on Saturday morning in years, but I know that the game day is going to be there. And it's Iowa and Iowa State, all the money coming for the Hawkeyes so far. Iowa, minus two and a half, 44 and a half. Iowa State did not look good in their opener, but they're coming off a bye.
2: Well, I'm going to disagree a little bit. You know, you had Northern Iowa in your opener uh, This is little brother scenario. Northern Iowa is an excellent FCS team. Northern Iowa has pulled their upsets. You have kids from Iowa that wanted to play at Iowa State and wanted to play at Iowa, didn't make the programs they're playing here. You still had Brock Purdy completing 73%. You still had the Cyclones outgaining Northern Iowa 463 to 261. Then I look at the situation. I read an article this morning, Matt Campbell, who I love. He's one of my top five head coaches in all of college football. He talked about going back to his Mountain Union days. He would prefer a week to buy over any week in the year. He says making adjustments from game one to game two, he can help his team so much more. Well, while he was preparing for his team for 14 days, You look on the opposite sideline. Yes, Iowa crushed Rutgers, but Iowa had to prepare for their Big Ten opener. They were playing a team that had scored 70 points and and won by 60-some points. Iowa State, a huge edge. Iowa State has revenge for four straight losses to Iowa. Um, Even though my power ratings have this a little slanted the other way, I like Iowa State in this situation.
1: Yeah, at three, I'm a buyer uh, on the cycle. We haven't seen it yet. Although, Nate Stanley beat me last week. And Stanley, I thought he was really pedestrian, a ham and egger. And the first two games of the season, his senior year, he's looked really good. and uh, He was impressive last week. Six touchdown passes already this year. And all of a sudden, Nate Stanley, who was the latest Hawkeye stiff QB, is now a guy who's getting some NFL attention and who's gotten my attention. Let's not forget also. Iowa's defense shut down Iowa State pretty dominantly a season ago. And they're, of coming off a game against Rutgers in which the Scarlet Knights struggled to get across midfield. Staying with the Big Ten matchup, let's talk about Michigan State. Minus 13.5 and 45 a total against Arizona State. Nothing but Sparty money early in the week. And, oh, lo and behold, we have another revenge setting as Michigan State got knocked off down in the desert last September. They remember it, with Arizona State traveling to East Lansing this time around.
2: Yeah, Michigan State was about a five-point favorite last year, and they led going into the fourth quarter, allowed 13 points in that 16-13 loss. But I'll tell you what, I watched Arizona State's game against Sacramento State Jaden Daniels, one of the true freshmen that started week one against Kent State, yeah, they put up 455 yards at home. Sacramento State, they put up 395 yards, most of that late. They had 78 yards in the first half against Sacramento State. I don't care if you're looking to head to Michigan State or not. You have 78 yards. That's pathetic at home against an FCS team. Michigan State's defense is legit. Another huge edge to Michigan State. Herm Edwards plays a 3-3-5. It's almost the exact defense that Tulsa plays who Michigan State faced week one and struggled a little bit, facing that same defense twice in three weeks with an offense that has going against that true freshman quarterback, Colorby Sparty.
1: Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I'm an absolute believer in Michigan State's defense, and the offense got going last week. That's what Michigan State's been missing. We know that defensively they've been there. They've lacked the skill, position, talent, the quarterback play, and the offensive line play to be competing for Big Ten titles. That's why they've been uh, set uh, notch below uh, the Ohio State's of the world in recent seasons. But don't sell this senior quarterback short. They were chucking the football around pretty good last week against a solid. Again, we talk about MAC defenses, they're not great. But Western Michigan's defense, as good as any in the conference, and Michigan State had very little difficulty. Moving the football up and down the field in that one. Florida and Kentucky. The Wildcats off back-to-back covers against aforementioned Max schools, but they're still home dogs against the Florida Gators. Franks, so far, 78% completions, 524 passing yards. Can the Gators win by margin as they travel up to Lexington?
2: Well, I guess if you have... A 31-game series win streak snapped. You can officially call this revenge. Again, it was one of the Mm -hmm. longest series win streaks last year when Kentucky went into the swamp, pulled out the win, a well-deserved win. They played very well. But again, now we're talking about another situation with a quarterback getting hurt. Terry Wilson, Kentucky's quarterback, is out. Sawyer Smith is a grad transfer from Troy. Last year, Troy's quarterback got hurt after five games. Sawyer Smith came in, started the last seven games at Troy, made the transfer here. We're now going to see him start. But Florida has 15 sacks the first two weeks. I, I cannot play with this new quarterback against that defensive line. Felipe Franks, I think, got the offense going. Yes, it was against Tennessee Martin last week, but he looked like the light bulb came on. A big difference on the Gators. Again, another chalk. I'm not usually this big of a chalk eater, but in this situation against the first-time starting quarterback and with that revenge, I am on the Gators. Yeah,
1: but I mean, let me ask you about this, because Wilson has been splitting time anyway, and now he's hurt, and they're saying, oh, it's a big deal. The markets are saying it's a big deal with a lot of money coming uh, against Kentucky. I don't see it as a big deal. I think the, I got the two quarterbacks rated equally. Um, do you think the fact that one guy's hurt and they both missed miss the split time together? Do you think that the one guy's hurts so now the other guy's got to go legitimately negatively affects Kentucky?
2: Yes, only because Terry Wilson was their starter last year. This is a quarterback that got them to their success got him to their bowl game, got him to their upset win against Florida. This is the quarterback that completed 67% last year for Kentucky. Because he was a returning starter, I think it's a big deal.
1: And Ralph, what percentage of your passes do you complete at Kentucky last year?
2: Well, I would probably complete one of two before they would hit me and I'd be out.
1: (laughs) That's fair enough. When we come back here on Wager Talk, Ralph and I are going to talk about the single biggest vulnerability
0: that sports books have. Legitimately, you don't want to miss this. Stay tuned, right?
1: We're here in the home stretch of Wager Talk. Teddy Covers, Ralph Michaels. Let's break it down right here. We got three minutes to do it, Ralph. The underdog money line parlay is a sportsbook's greatest liability. And earlier in the show, you brought up all the dogs of three or more that won in college football last week. There was, what, about eight of them or ten of them? There weren't a ton. But what we will see over the course of the next two, three, four weeks in college football, that number is going to go up. And instead of six or eight, like we've seen the first couple of weeks, now that the point spreads, the people are very confident in their point spreads, and, oh, look, we've got data points. And you're going to see more live underdogs at the very beginning of conference season play because the markets don't have teams right based on their non-conference opponents. So you see more underdogs cash. Your standard three-teamer is going to pay six to one. Three-team probably. Oh, the wise guys don't play parlays. Yes, they do. Not very often, but we do. Certainly, when it comes to side and total being related, you play a lot of two teamers in that regard. But when we're talking about six to one, let's just say you're putting them on the money line. Underdogs, plus 200. Instead of six to one, you know what that pays? A three teamer. 26 to one. Huge difference when you're catching these dogs and they're cashing together. And if you can get a plus 400 or a plus 500 and isolate one of those big dogs as a chance to win, Ralph. You can give yourself a real score on any given Saturday or Sunday because it's going to happen in the NFL and college football. The upsets are coming after the first few weeks of the season.
2: You know, and uh, I I like the thought process and let's just go back and talk about money management. You know, a parlay pays 2.4 to 1 and the odds to hit it is 4 to 1. So just saying to bet a parlay is not the right thing, but. If you are wagering three games dog-wise for a potential big payoff and you're betting just one unit, it's a great way to stay involved. It's a great way to not force action on games you shouldn't be betting, yet you could have a substantial payoff. So it's, it's something we all do to try to hit that big hit, but it's also something you do to protect your bankroll in situations where you don't want to force a play or bet multiple units on a game you shouldn't be betting.
1: Excellent point from Ralph Michaels. Underdogs on the money line. You put them together, you're going to end up with some very big payouts. I want to thank Ralph for joining me today, like he does every day here on Wager Talk. And I want to thank you guys for spending an hour of your day right here with us. We'll do it again tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel.
0: Join us here on. Can you catch the live show? Yes. Make sure to download our podcast at the FNTSY Sports Network Audio Boom channel. Oh, so bad.